beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the disabled came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. It is my pleasure to invite Jeremy up to share God's word with us. I would normally do an interview, but you were here before, before more recently than me, so I will, I will pray for you and then we'll listen. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing Jeremy to us this morning. Anoint him through your spirit that the words he speaks will come from you. And Lord, may our hearts be willing and open to receive your word through Jeremy this morning. Amen.
we look at Matthew 16, verse 21, we see Christ telling his disciples that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. And again in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Christ knew that his time on this earth was coming to an end. His purpose was being fulfilled. God's plan for salvation was coming to a climax. Now, Beth Page, who's where our story begins, is approximately a mile from Jerusalem. Christ, to this point, had been walking with his disciples. But what was happening was all in God's plan. And he tells his disciples, two of them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. God had prepared the way. This was God's plan. And what we need to remember is in our lives, who is making the plans? Are we following our plans or are we following God's plans? Either for us as individuals, for us as a church. And the difference is, our plans often go wrong. Our plans can often be hurriedly put together. God's plan has been in place for years. God had oh dear. <laughs> keep my hands still. <laughs> God had organized that the donkey and the colt would be at a certain place at a certain time. He'd also prepared the owner to allow the animals to be taken. God is interested in the minutest details of his plans. He will prepare them. We are reminded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 30, on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about not being anxious, he shows how God is concerned about the smallest details of our lives. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Just think, if we are worth walking in God's way, if we are following God's plans, he knows every detail that he has prepared for us. He will make his plans succeed. In verses 4 and 5, we again are reminded how God had planned these events. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It highlights the fact that God had planned these events. Zechariah's ministry was from about 520 BC, half a millennium before the events in Matthew. And yet, the detail is there. And God had 500 years later prepared the donkey to be taken from the village and brought to Christ. Just think how God has control. And let's stop trying to do everything in our own power. So often we get worried and worked up and think we've got to do things rather than trusting God and seeing how he has his plans and wants to fulfill them in our lives. Another thing, though, here it shows us in verse 6. We're told the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. Again, this is important in our lives. When we are following God, when we are listening to his words, listening to his plans, we need to be obedient. Again, how often do we take the view, yes, God's telling us to do this, but we're going to do it this way, or we're going to do it quicker than he's planning, or we're not going to wait on him to say when. And things get difficult. Things don't go according to plan. We are told that the disciples did just what they were told, and the result was they brought the donkey and the colt back. Imagine they'd gone to a different village, or had decided, well, we'll go and look for a horse instead. That's what we do. But God has his plans and we are there to obey him. And the result is shown in verse 7, that they brought the donkey and the colt and they put their cloaks on them and Christ sat on them. Again, God's plan was that Christ would come into Jerusalem on a donkey and he'd put everything in place. And his disciples just had to be obedient rather than trying to think about things for themselves. Going on to verses 8 and 9, the people come out spreading their cloaks on the floor, cutting down branches from the trees, laying them on the road and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And... Uh, King Charles has already been referred to today. And we know that when it comes to the coronation, the streets will be lined with people. 
No, they won't be allowed to put their cloaks on the floor. <laughs> no, they won't be cutting down palm branches. But it's the same thing. The people will be celebrating a king. And here, it was the people who recognized at that time who he was in part. They didn't fully recognize him. They recognized him as being a king, as being a person of power. Unfortunately, they didn't fully recognize that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, who'd been prophesied and who was coming to die. So, as was said earlier, they were expecting a king who was going to overthrow the Romans. Not happening. We today are also looking forward to the coming of the king. Not King Charles, but the return of Christ. And when Christ comes next time, there is going to be no doubt. We are told in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 31, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with loud trumpet calls. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. No doubt. And in Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We need to be ready. Christ is going to come again as the King of glory. And when he comes, the judgment will come with it. It will no longer be possible for us to change our minds. The challenge on us today is to spread the gospel so that people have heard and those whom Christ has called will come to him. And we must be ready every day for his return. We can't look in a diary. We can't say, oh yeah, we've got to be ready on the 5th of December 2026. He might come tomorrow. He might come in another thousand years. But our task as Christians is to live obediently for him every day so that whenever he comes, we are ready and we will be with him. Do not miss that opportunity. Do not think you can wait. I'll do it one day. I will make my confession of Christ as Lord tomorrow when I've enjoyed my life, when I've finished this little thing I want to do, 
We need to do it today. We need to ensure that we are right with Christ now. To confess our sins, to repent, to accept him as our Lord and Saviour. Because he will come again and he will judge the living and the dead. And that will be the end. No opportunity to change our minds then. Going on, Christ comes into Jerusalem. He is recognized, as I said, by the people as the son of David, as a prophet, as someone important. The first thing he appears to do is to go into the temple, to the house of God, and cleanse it. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 14, and you see about tithes, if you were too far away from the temple, and therefore you couldn't bring your sacrifices, your tithe, you were allowed to convert them into money, and then to come to the temple and buy the sacrifices. So what was going on in the temple of itself was actually a legitimate practice. Changing money, buying sacrifices. But it was not something that should have been being done in the temple. There is the impression, and I will say it's only an impression, that the money changers were probably doing what they were criticised for throughout the Old Testament, which was saying, well, okay, normally a denarius is worth ten whatever. Today you can have it for 20 because you need to have the money for the temple. Or I'm going to sell you this slightly bad dove because you're desperate. So there probably was a degree that not only were they doing it in the wrong place, but as was constantly referred to by God in the Old Testament, that there was a degree of corruption going on as well. So God was going to, Christ was clearing the temple of all these wrong things and saying, look, the purpose of the temple is to worship God. What is the relevance of that today? We don't have the temple in Jerusalem. We don't need to go to the temple in Jerusalem. But we do need to look at ourselves as Christians and to our churches. If people come into the church... Are they going to see us worshipping God? Is that the purpose for us coming together? Whether that's by praise and worship in a service, by the reading of his word, or by sharing Christ's love to people in their need? Or are we allowing our churches to be used for other purposes? When we gather together as Christians, are we showing Christ in us or are we actually acting like the world? How will people know that we are different? Because that is what we are called to be. We are called to be salt and light. So if Christ came here today, or came to you in one of your meetings, or even came alongside you on one of your days, would he act like he did in the temple? and say, get rid of these sinful practices, get rid of these wrongful things, 
these wrongful thoughts, these wrongful ways of behaving towards one another? Or would he say, good and faithful servants, my word is being preached, my people can see Christ in you. That's why this passage is relevant to us today. It's very easy when looking at the Bible to think, oh, that happened 2,000 years ago, or more. But everything in the Bible can speak to us today. So Christ cleansed the temple. The blind, the lame, disabled came to him. He healed them. He did what he did. And the chief priests and the scribes saw these wonderful things and criticized it. It's interesting. The children were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now they were recognizing that he was entitled to praise and calling him the son of David was identifying him as the, the holy Messiah. So they had a, an idea of who he was. They may not have fully understood it, but as children they were praising him for who he was. Chief priests, the hierarchy in the church at the time, oh no, can't have this. We don't want your disruption. We don't believe you are. I mean, they would have known their Old Testaments backwards. They would have known all the prophecies that pointed to Christ as being the Savior. But they couldn't see it. Christ's response to them is, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared your praise. He accepts the praise of the children and therefore he is acknowledging that they are right in calling him the son of David. He again is saying, look, this is who I am. But they couldn't see. Have we recognized who Jesus is? If any of us has not done so, we need to do so now. We need to accept him as our Lord and Saviour. And as we go into Easter week, and as we look to Easter Sunday, it's a perfect opportunity to recognize him, to recognize the sacrifice he made for us, to make it possible for our sins to be forgiven, for us to come back to God, and to be in union with him. But we need to make that decision, and we need to follow him. Amen. We're going to stand if we are able and we're going to sing Go Peaceful.